Welcome to From Russia with Blood, your source of gruesome, highly disturbing, and unbelievable but true crime stories from behind the Soviet curtain. Join our investigation as we go into the shadows to cast light on the nightmarish darkness of the Soviet past, if you dare. The episode you are about to hear contains material of an explicit sexual and criminal nature that some listeners may find extremely disturbing. This podcast is not suitable for minors. Please proceed at your own discretion. This is the second part of Mas Gaz. In order to fully appreciate the story, we recommend listening to part one before continuing. On January 8, 1964, Vladimir killed again. He went to Sheremetevskaya Street in Moscow, which had recently been developed with rows of similar-looking five-story apartment blocks, Khrushchev's plan to resolve the housing shortage. This time, Vladimir's victim was Maria Yermakova, a 46-year-old woman. The killer also slightly changed his method of entry. Vladimir introduced himself this time as a worker of the local housing maintenance office. The woman, thinking she was talking to the right person, started complaining about the poor quality of the newly constructed building and Vladimir suggested that she write a letter of complaint. She took a sheet of paper and a pen, sat down at the table, and wrote the word COMPLAINT in block capitals. This was the last word Maria wrote. Vladimir struck her with his hatchet about twenty times. He took five balls of yarn, three pairs of socks, 30 rubles in cash, a desktop clock, and a Start 3 TV set. But by this time, Vladimir was getting either careless or reckless. Thus, in one of the apartments he had previously visited, he forgot his handwritten note, from which the police learned Vladimir's modus operandi. Upon entering the very first apartment in an apartment building, he would ask the people who lived there about their neighbors. This way, when he visited the other apartments, he was able to call the residents by their names, increasing their confidence and trust. So the police had already established a pattern of behavior. But who was the killer? It was the TV set that proved to be Vladimir's biggest mistake and put the investigators on his trail. Vladimir stopped a passing dump truck and asked the driver to take him with the TV set to another address in Moscow. And it was a local cop walking his beat who happened to notice a man loading a TV set into the dump truck and out of habit 
remembered the license plate. Not in full, just two numbers, nine and six, but that was enough for the investigation team to trace the vehicle and talk to the driver within hours after the murder was discovered. The rest was a matter of very efficient police procedure. The driver gave the address where he had taken the passenger with the TV set. Some plainclothes detectives talked to the people who lived there, and one woman pointed out her neighbor's apartment where, quote, the neighbor's niece was living with an Eastern-looking man, i.e., not Russian-looking. Now, Comrade Korenkova, the owner of the apartment as the police immediately discovered, did not have a niece. She was renting her apartment on the sly, which was not something the state liked to see. Apartments were in short supply and were meant for living in, not for, quote, extracting income without labor. Hence the story of the niece. Actually, the well-informed neighbor helpfully added that the niece's boyfriend had just recently brought home a TV set, which he immediately sold to another resident in the apartment block. The police talked to the man and found the Start 3 TV set stolen from the murder scene. The buyer described Vladimir to a T. The police checked Vladimir's apartment. Nobody was in, so they entered, closed the door, and waited. After hours filled with tense anticipation, they heard the key in the lock. But they were in for a surprise. It was not Vladimir who came home. It was Alevtina Dmitrieva, his girlfriend, who refused to tell the officers where Vladimir was. The only thing she allowed herself to tell them was that he was a KGB officer and was out on an important and very secret mission. It was already late at night when the call came through to the head of the KGB, Vladimir Semichasny, but he himself immediately ordered everyone in the personnel department to get their asses to work and find the guy. It did not take long to establish that there was no KGB officer of such a name. Alevtina was arrested at once and thrown into solitary. Obviously, she did not like it there very much because she started talking right away and explained to the police that her boyfriend had just moved to the city of Kazan and that she was to follow him soon. He was to meet her there. In the best traditions of spy novels, she was to inform him about her arrival with a telegram sent to the central post office, Post Restante, General Delivery. The police came up with an equally cunning plan. They held a beauty contest among the female police officers to choose the one who looked most like Alevtina Dmitrieva. A bit of makeup was added for effect, and Alevtina's doppelganger was put on the train to Kazan, accompanied by a team of plainclothes detectives. 
the original Alevtina only had to write the telegram. The Minister of Interior of the Tatar Autonomous Soviet Socialist Republic personally was handling the arrest. The train stopped, and the female police officer in disguise stepped onto the platform. A man came to greet her. The work of the police makeup artist proved perfect. As soon as the man touched the woman, the handcuffs snapped. Talking about Vladimir is partly rather easy because his crimes and arrests are well documented. But we have to bear in mind that this was the first such case in the Soviet Union, the first serial killer in a very centralized state. This series of extremely unsettling and previously unheard of murders was of huge concern to the general public, and an official reaction was in order. And yet the Soviet leaders had to proceed with extreme caution. Firstly, the criminal was an Armenian. In a state that proclaimed the international friendship of all the working people living within its borders, so much as the merest mention of the suspect's nationality was an absolute no-go. Secondly, it was deemed to be the utmost priority to calm the public down and ensure that the state was in control as quickly as possible. As a result, no scientific, no psychological studies of this case were conducted. There simply was no time for that. And this makes talking about Vladimir Yonesian extremely difficult. What inexplicable compulsion drove him to abscond with worthless articles of clothing and household objects of almost no real value, apart from the Start 3 TV set? Was it a kind of manic desperation he acquired while in the labor camp? What impulse was it exactly that caused him to become a serial killer? Why did he kill? We will never know. During interrogations, he said he just needed money, but the brutality of his acts tells a completely different story. But the information necessary for analysis of Vladimir's true motives is simply non-existent. Such was the extraordinary profile of the case that the general prosecutor of the Soviet Union, Roman Rudenka himself, took Vladimir in his personal limousine to see Nikita Khrushchev, the leader of the USSR. Having talked to him and read Vladimir's case materials, the head man in the USSR ordered the authorities to do away with him within two weeks. So the investigation and the trial took only 14 days. The Ministry of Interior suggested that Vladimir be shot, the standard procedure for capital punishment in the Soviet Union. There were other suggestions, though. Thus, correspondence between the police top brass and the Communist Party Central Committee, the place where the real decisions were made, even contains the recommendation to hang Vladimir and to make the execution public. Interestingly, the then first deputy chief of KGB, 
Philippe Bobkov recalled in 2001 that this mode of execution was also on the minds of the public. There was an overwhelming number of letters from Soviet citizens demanding not only a public execution, but an execution by hanging or even dismemberment to be performed on Lobnaya Miesta, a 13-meter-long stone platform on Red Square, the historical place of public executions until the 18th century. On January 30, 1964, the Supreme Court of the Russian Soviet Federal Socialist Republic sentenced Vladimir to death. He appealed, and the appeal was rejected on the spot. The very next day, on January 31st, he was executed in the Butyrka prison in Moscow. His girlfriend, Alevtina Dmitrieva, was sentenced to 15 years in prison as his accomplice, despite the fact that Vladimir kept telling the detectives that she played no part in his crimes and did not even know anything about them. She was, however, released after having served about eight years. Moscow's The Killer occupied a well-established place in Soviet folklore and urban legends. Years after Vladimir was executed, there were rumors about him still stalking the streets of Soviet cities, and parents would threaten their naughty children that he would come and take them away if they didn't behave. Thus ends the story of Moscow's, the first Soviet serial killer. Even still, the legend of Moscow's continues to resonate in the public consciousness. In 2015, a 20-year-old man of Tajik origin, Anushervan Rachmanov, was arrested in Moscow. He committed suicide in the notorious Matroskaya Tishina prison before his trial. Rachmanov was accused of seven counts of murder and was even said to have killed whole families. To get people to let him into their apartments, he would say he was an employee of the Moscow Gas Works. Rachmanov, the copycat murderer, was quickly dubbed and will go down in infamy as Moscow's Two. You have been listening to an episode of From Russia with Blood. It has been carefully researched and produced for you by the Hamovniki brothers. No matter how you found us, or what interests brought you here. We're grateful to you for giving us your time, and please keep listening. From Russia with Blood is entirely listener-supported. Go to coffee.com forward slash FWRB, that's ko-fi.com forward slash FWRB for more information. Contributors get exclusive access to episode scripts and extras, including Hamovniki Zastalon, informal reflections, conversations, and insights into the culture of the times. You can follow From Russia with Blood on your preferred podcast platform for more unbelievably gruesome and previously unknown stories of true crime from behind the Soviet curtain.